Welcome to the 100th episode of the Star Trek Academy podcast. Today, we're looking at Season 3, Episode 7 of Star Trek Picard, entitled Dominion. I'm the Academy Philosophy Professor, Rodney Cup, And I'm the Academy Media Professor, Michael Merrick. We always say it at this point, but I'll say it again. You can find us on Mastodon, Twitter, and Facebook, all with the same username, at Trek underscore Academy. Our Tumblr address is Trek Academy without the underscore. And of course, you can listen directly on our website, anchor.fm slash Star Trek Academy. And Rodney, it's estimated that there are over 150 million podcast episodes out there in cyberspace. The wow. average podcast has 50 episodes total, either because they're produced very rarely and they don't accumulate very quickly or just because the producers run out of steam and they stop production. So this is our 100th podcast episode, putting us way above average there. And the data also says that the median for podcasts is 29 listens or downloads during the first week. And we're above that also, which is all pretty cool. That's wonderful. And yeah. uh, so thank you to the listeners we appreciate you. And if we had half the listens, I think we'd still be doing this, but it's it's nice to have listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a couple big bits of Star Trek news this week. So first we heard the Strange New World second season is beginning June 15th. So uh, I think that means about nine weeks after Star Trek Picard ends, we'll have Strange New Worlds. That's a pretty big break, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I should note, Rodney, it fits in really well with the school year for college professors. Picard will be done shortly before finals week, leaving faculty free to do the finals week and tests and things like that. And Strange New Worlds will end, assuming they don't have any breaks, that it's all one week after the other, right about the time school starts in the fall, allowing faculty to focus on new classes and things. You remember not long ago, Paramount and CBS wanted year-round Star Trek to keep people from dropping their subscriptions, basically, mm -hmm. which happened in the first couple of seasons of Discovery. But the streaming environment has changed over the last year, and the various platforms are scaling back what's been called the breakneck pace of new content production. Because at that point, you know, two, three more years ago, they were really focused on market share. How many subscribers do we have compared to the other folks? But now that the coin has kind of flipped and they're really focused on profitability today. So they're mm. producing less content and going for more profitability. So I think that's why we have this considerable break. And we did, you know, um, before Picard also, a break of several weeks because it's a question of profitability, not just market share. Okay. Well, you know, it was intriguing, the thought of having year-round Star Trek. So, you know, that's unfortunate, I suppose, but I'd rather take some Star Trek than no Star Trek. Yeah. So I guess, you know, that's something we can live with. Uh, another piece of news here, we got word that Paramount is commissioning a Starfleet Academy live action series. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. And uh, from hints, it appears that the series is going to be set in the, the 32nd century where the recent seasons of discovery have been set just from a couple of hints. It sounds like that it's expected to film 
2024. And after the filming is done, it takes a year of post-production. So it'll probably be on the air sometime in 2025. It's a ways off, a couple of years Ooh. or so. But the, the ball is now rolling on the next new uh, Star Trek series. So if we can take a minute here to summarize, we've got our Starfleet Academy. We're also, I think, maybe looking forward to a Section 31 series still. And maybe we're hoping that, you know, maybe Picard might have a spinoff, although we haven't heard a single thing about that, right? Everyone has said it really depends on the fan reaction. Mm. So as this season wraps up, uh, I think Paramount and CBS will be assessing what the fan reaction is. If it's really been mixed, then mm. maybe we won't see a, a follow-up series. If it is generally positive and a lot of buzz about the idea of a follow-up series, then it may be likely. But remember, we're not doing five or six Star Trek series at a time True. anymore. Uh, probably four is about what we will get. And notice also the number of episodes is scaled back to 10, yeah. whereas some of the earlier seasons of Discovery had, had several more than that. So we're balancing still a, a good stream of new Star Trek with that profitability. And there will be more spaces between seasons now, I'm pretty sure. We'll see, but I'll just register my own opinion right now. A new series with Titan A, where we bring back Shaw, Jack Crusher, Sidney LaForge. I'm here for it. I'm really intrigued by the possibility. I would probably go for that kind of series. You know, whoever the cast ends up being a mixture of new and old. Yeah. Over a Section 31 series. That's, you know, that's my personal preference. I agree. And I we're going to talk a little bit. In this episode, I'm sure, yeah. about the creeping dystopia, at least I, that's what I'd call it in Star Trek, and I'm very concerned. So, but we'll uh, get there. Yeah, we'll talk about Section 31, obviously. Well, to set the stage for our conversation today, and if you're not listening just in the first few days after the episode premiered, we'll refresh your memory with a brief summary of the episode, Dominion. And uh, if you haven't seen it, beware, there are lots of spoilers to follow. And with that summary, here is Dr. Rodney Cup. All right. Well, in this episode, we don't see Riker, Troy, Worf, or Rafi. But in this episode, uh, Seven contacts Tuvok, looking for information about Riker, but discovers that Tuvok is being impersonated by a changeling. Picard and others speculate that the changelings want Picard's corpse to create a genetic double of Picard for his Frontier Day speech. And they also witness the identities of Data and Lore fighting for control over M510. But Data manages to tell Picard that his diagnosis of Eremotic Syndrome has been called into question. Hmm. Anyway, the Shrike finds the Titan, which has apparently been in a battle with a Vulcan ship. So Vatic beams over with a boarding party and locates Jack, but it's a trap, it's a trap. And our heroes manage to trap them all in force fields. Picard and Beverly learn from Vatic that scientists at Daystrom Station experimented on her and other changelings during the Dominion War, hoping to turn them into weapons. Well, that's where they acquired their new abilities and eventually escaped. Now, meanwhile, Lore has taken control of M510, and he takes control of the entire ship at one point, and he drops the force fields. 
So even though Picard and Beverly have found a way to track them, Vatic and her crew take control of the Titan. So we also find out, by the way, that Jack can read minds, communicate telepathically, and control other people's bodies. And that's the episode. And thank you very much for that summary. So our main podcast mission is really to talk about the philosophy, themes, and morals to the story. That's why we created this podcast 100 episodes ago. But we usually like to talk about the production of the episode first, production design, continuity with past Star Trek, uh, character development, and that. And uh, Rodney, I'd like to, to note that we pointed out in episode four that that represented the end of what you might call the first act of the Picard miniseries. And I think that this episode, Dominion, likely represents the end of the second act. In the writing field, this week's cliffhanger is known as an all-is-lost moment. But the all-is-lost moment is generally followed by the heroes coming back strong, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. And I can predict that that is what's going to happen in the mm -hmm. final three episodes of the season, the final act, which will lead to the stereotypical thrilling finale. Mm -hmm. I think that luring Shrike to where the Titan is, is a gambit. The raising and the lower of the force fields was clearly planned ahead as the characters run through the corridors. Sure. But we don't see the planning session, so we don't know what else is part of the plan. My question is, is allowing Vatic to think that she's taken over Titan also part of the gambit? Is that something that is part of the plan and, and there's going to be a big plot twist in, in the coming episode? By the way, I should note the experimentation on the changelings was called Project Proteus. And Proteus was a Greek god associated with the constant changing of the sea, you know, the fluid hmm. changing of the sea. And Proteus was also capable of assuming many forms. So you can see there the connection to the, the shape changers. Fitting. My first impression in watching was that Section 31 wanted to weaponize the changelings, in effect, to make them into super soldiers. But then I thought, well, maybe this was the lab where the changeling virus was developed during the Dominion War. Or is it both? I mean, I've watched it mm. several times and it's not really clear. They tend to talk more about the super soldiers, but I, I don't know. Either way, the involuntary experimental subjects escaped confinement and they feel they are justified in striking back, Vatic particularly. Right. And seeing it from their point of view, it's it's hard to argue. But yeah, I, that makes sense. I mean, you know, that the this experimentation could have led to that to that virus too. But Vatic says claims that they were uh being used to create, she said, uh, perfect undetectable spies able to drop into any species and spread chaos right now it is possible that she's lying picard doesn't think so though but my question is why would the evolved changelings do starfleet's bidding there's something here that doesn't make a lot of sense to me section 31 would have to figure out how to brainwash them and i don't know how that would work with a with a shape changer yeah so it's even more clear now that Jack has something inside him that gives him these abilities. And I mean, you, you mentioned the uh, the reading minds, communicating telepathically. 
controlling other bodies. He, he kind of has those, but he certainly doesn't know how to use them and they're not perfected. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know. And the implication is that whatever this has been inside him has been there since he was a child, given that he had nightmares as a child. But it's not clear when and how this happened. The season is often making references to Picard's Eromotic Syndrome, which Beverly diagnosed in him back in The Next Generation. Was it Data or is it Lore who was speaking? I think it was Data, but suggests that I that diagnosis so. may be in error. Yeah. Did something originally get into Picard and was then passed on to Jack? They apparently want to use Picard's DNA, maybe somehow combined with something from Jack, Jack's blood or something like that, to sabotage Frontier Day. And maybe because Picard's an android, I don't know if he has DNA in his android form or if, if it's authentic original Picard DNA. So maybe Jack's the closest they have to Picard DNA and they're going to start there. Again, it's not particularly clear, but uh, they are deliberately withholding the information from us for another episode or two, I think. I still think that the most likely candidate for these bad guys and what's inside maybe Picard and maybe Jack is the Paw Wraiths, who were the demons of the Bajoran religion. We've seen they can induce visions. They can even occupy the bodies of corporeal beings. The wormhole aliens in Deep Space Nine are the prophets of the, of the Bajoran religion. They live inside the wormhole and they do not experience linear time. But the Pa Wraiths essentially were from that group, but were thrown out of the wormhole long ago because they were evil. And in Deep Space Nine, we saw they, they schemed to return to the wormhole and they wanted to make themselves the gods of the Bajorans. So I think that that is still the most likely option for who is manipulating the changelings and who has the deeper vendetta against Starfleet. Yeah. And in this episode, that face in Vadek's hand tells her that if they don't find Jack, it says you and your kind will find your existence meaningless. So clearly that face is not a changeling. Everything appears to be pointing at the Pa-Wraiths at this point. And I think that would also resonate with this season's theme of imposters, <laughs> because even then the changelings aren't what they seem to be, right? That they're not in a way the big bad of the season. Yeah. So a Pa Wraith could occupy Jack and somehow use his DNA either in lieu of Picard's or in conjunction with Picard's body to gain access to whatever it is they need to destroy the fleet. And that's, mm -hmm. that's really the threat. And remember that. I mean, remember that going forward because Starfleet obviously didn't learn anything from the attack of the Diviner 20 years ago that we saw in Prodigy. All the Starfleet ships are networked, which has to be considered to be a security threat. So sure. we're talking about the virus that infected the changelings. The storyline in Prodigy had a computer-type virus to, to destroy Starfleet ships. And we have that theme again here. In some way, we're going to destroy Starfleet ships. It seems likely that it would be through their internal technology rather than more warships showing up to blow them up. But we have to see about that. And we were told that there was going to be a mega spoiler in the guest star. 
uh, in this episode, which turned out to be Tuvok, but actually not really Tuvok, a changeling. And so now it appears that Vatic has Riker, has Troy, and apparently has Tuvok captive also undergoing questioning. But none of them have divulged information yet about how to find Jack. Of course, they don't really know because Titan is on the run and they are using tactics to avoid being tracked. Because we didn't see Riker and Troy in this episode at all, it's likely that there'll be a focus on them next time around. Yeah, I think so. How about a few more short takes here? Something I wanted to mention, Beverly says that targeting a species on biology alone is tantamount to genocide, but they find out that they can track these super changelings because they have trace amounts of thelonium 847, whatever that is. So are they committing genocide by tracking them? No, obviously not. There's no ethical issues with this tracking, as far as I can tell, given their present circumstances. I took that to mean that she was investigating the possibility of using some other kind of biological agent. And as part of that research, figured out that they have the thelonium in them. So that was kind of a byproduct finding of what else she was looking at that could have more serious ethical implications. No doubt, no doubt. A couple of notes for me. When the changelings are zapped with phasers, some of them die or turn to dust but some don't. Vatic doesn't. The, the other guy, I don't know if he was, if he's her first officer or what, but the other guy in a mask got zapped with the phaser and came back. Vatic implied that she was the one who first gained these new abilities, but that she can pass them on. So are yeah. some of the changelings genetically modified and some are not? That would tell us more about what this faction among the changelings is and and how pronounced it is Mm -hmm. Uh, we talked about section 31 earlier and the more we learn about what's going on the more it seems strange to me that daystrom station is a section 31 facility nothing we've heard previously about the daystrom institute signaled black ops or is it called daystrom station just as misdirection and they're not really affiliated at all yeah Vatic keeps talking about taking Jack to the place where he belongs, to a better place. And she acts like she's rescuing him. Mm-hmm. So again, that comes to the question of what's inside him. Is there a baby changeling inside him? Or again, a pa wraith? Uh, or is she just saying those things to fake him out and try to gain his cooperation? Speaking of Vatic, her monologue about her captivity on Daystrom Station, I timed it last almost two and a half minutes. The overall scene is longer with some cutaways, but the single speech, her spoken dialogue, that single speech, two and a half minutes is really long for TV. I think they really wanted to call the attention of the viewer to her backstory in considerable detail. Well, let's talk about uh, meaning then. And here we're asking what messages the writers and producers may have wanted to convey to us in this episode. So are there things here that we should take away from it that were being communicated intentionally or not? Well, Rodney, I want to preface this by pointing out that Vatic's story about the experimentation done on her and the other changelings is remarkably similar to what happened to Odo, 
when he was first found as a baby changeling in the Denorius belt in the Bajoran system. He was not recognized as a sentient being, and a Bajoran researcher named Dr. Mora experimented on him for seven years before finally coming to the conclusion that he was sentient. Memory Alpha describes it this way. Mora subjected him, meaning Odo, to a long series of experiments in which Odo endured time in a vacuum chamber and a protein decompiler, as well as extensive electric shocks. So Odo eventually rebelled against Mora's mistreatment, you know, unintentional mistreatment because he didn't understand there was a sentient being there. But Odo formed a tentacle and hit Dr. Mora, which is not really that much different from Vatic impaling the researcher with a tentacle. According to Vatic, she was experimented on and not accorded rights due to a sentient being. Odo eventually formed a face based on Dr. Mora's face. And Vatic also took the face of the scientist that had experimented on her. So there are some very pronounced similarities in those stories there, which I've got to believe are intentional. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. And obviously what happened to the changelings at Daystrom Station, if Vatic's story is true, is completely unacceptable in every way. And I assume they didn't consent to being experimented on. And it appears that no effort was taken to minimize their suffering either. And the goal of this research was ultimately to use these people as mere means to the ends of Starfleet with no consideration for their autonomy at all. So that's disturbing. But I feel like, Michael, the writers have to be very careful here. I mean, the Federation is supposed to be the good guys. And having even its black ops organization doing something like this that's so hideous I feel it can really compromise it. And I'm sure you agree with me that, you know, you're not interested in a dystopian Star Trek universe. I know I'm not. Yeah, I'm okay with a story in which the bad guys are bad, yeah. preferably with a backstory showing why they are the way they are. But I want the heroes to be good guys. I want them to be likable, respectable, not anti-heroes. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with Section 31 being sketchy but not Starfleet and the Federation as a whole. You know, when you talk about dystopianism, we've talked about that before. I think that is a term we apply to the entire story, not to one or two particular characters. So what is going to be the outcome of this story by the time the season is ended? Will, for me, the way I define things, indicate whether it is dystopian or, or not. On the other hand, it is nice knowing Vatic's backstory because a well-constructed villain in fiction believes in the righteousness of the villain's cause. The writers also clearly intend an ethical message in her story. And I think it's more than just echoing like the Tuskegee experiment or unethical medical research. It, it highlights the ends justify the means mentality that we always seem to find mm -hmm. in Section 31, whichever Star Trek series they're sticking their heads up in. Mm -hmm. Vatic also says that from her perspective, the Dominion was complying with the rules of warfare while Starfleet committed atrocities, primarily in the form of that virus. But we have to note that the Dominion consisted of many worlds and species all held together by fear, 
which for dramatic purposes, when it was created back in Deep Space Nine, was intended to be the opposite of the Federation. Yes, the stories we hear are always from the other side, but it certainly seems that neither side was admirable in the way either the war started and how it progressed. And you got to be careful, I guess, because here we're seeing sort of the long-term consequences of, of that ugly war. But I mean, getting back to that virus, that anti-changeling virus in DS9, it's I think it's similar to the genocidal plan that was hatched by Vice Admiral Cornwell and Emperor George O, remember them, at the end of season one of Discovery yeah. to destroy the Klingon homeworld and end the war. And that makes me think of the nuclear weapons dropped on Japan by the United States, intended to end the war. And maybe they did, but you know, hundreds of thousands of civilians were killed, which is seriously ethically problematic, right? The massive weapons of mass destruction, like the nuclear bomb, or maybe you could say biological warfare too, did not go away at the end of World War II. Uh, biological warfare, we hope, is mostly in the lab, not operationalized. Uh, and even Beverly thought about it as a possible weapon against the changelings. Yeah. And uh, we can be happy that she saw immediately that it was an ethical problem uh, that needed to be considered first. Yeah. And this sort of thinking, uh, this sort of, you know, the ends justify the means thinking here, it's very simplistic utilitarian thinking, and it's dangerous. I mean, the, the use of these kinds of weapons might result in fewer lives lost overall, but there's a very strong intuition there that that's just obviously morally unacceptable to use them. You know, compounded on that, from Vatic's perspective, at least, we're talking about torture and genocide. And I think that's a message relevant to a lot of places in, in the world today. Vatic says how remarkable it is that an enlightened species can ignore each other's pain. But that is something we see all the time in our world today. If you're not part of my in-group, my reference group, I don't care how bad it gets for you. That's an attitude we see way too much today. And it's a fair point. I, I feel like Star Trek oftentimes acts as a warning to us that you know, even though Star Trek is very aspirational, and for me, it's almost kind of like comfort TV. You know, I can <laughs> see human beings who are aspiring to be better, and there's that chilling part in this episode where I think the suggestion was that even Beverly and Picard had adopted that kind of thinking. They, I think they were going to kill Vatic, and so you know, if it can happen to these these people, it can happen to us. You know, we have to be very careful. And I, I did want to mention one final thing. This may be a theme that's becoming more prominent here. There was something Laura told Jordy that was interesting. He said he wants no more than you want for your children, nothing more than these changelings want survival. Mm -hmm. So maybe a theme here is that what are we prepared to do to survive? And what should we be prepared to do? raises the question for me, does even Lore have a human right to survive rather than just have his program archived and not operating in computer storage somewhere? 
it's hard to say what 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 is happening with m510 what is yeah. that thing i mean yeah. they think they're figuring it out and what will be the resolution will lore just go back into limbo in computer storage or will they provide something for him or will he end up blending with data and having someone who is more human because humans have their light and their dark sides Right. And just to throw this in there, we're looking all the way back to season one of the original series, The Enemy Within, was yep, all about yep. that duality. Yep. Well, maybe we're ready for some final thoughts here. Uh, maybe we talk about whether we like the episode and what's on the way in these future episodes. I like the episode. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, I think this marks the end of Act Two. And we have three more episodes. So that's the beginning of the solution that will play itself out over three episodes. And as I said, I expect Picard and company to come back from the apparent defeat and ultimately save the day. Yeah, they have to. <laughs> I do have my reservations about it, as I mentioned. But I feel like Kurtzman and the writers, they know that Star Trek, without these principles, is just another science fiction franchise. There's nothing special about it. So I trust them at this moment not to do anything too dystopian here. I feel like even though Section 31 is maybe semi-autonomous, their moral rot can affect Starfleet and the Federation as a whole. So again, I feel like we have to be careful. I hope we find out that the scientists at Daystrom merely lost their moral compass and just went rogue. And that's a good sort of warning. We have to be aware of the danger of that happening to us, too. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Section 31 is not just semi-autonomous. Nobody knows they exist. The, the leadership of Starfleet, in most cases, and the Federation don't know they exist. They are completely independent, and we have seen every time they appear. They're very utilitarian. They don't mind causing damage if in their view from their perspective it leads to something good in the long term for the federation and so again that mindset of short-term bad things were okay if it's good in the long term that's where they come from but that's not something we necessarily like yeah and that just made me think of something michael um if we do ever do get this section 31 series you know as over the course of discovery emperor Giorgio went through a kind of redemption arc as i Certainly. recall yep and it would be interesting if you're going to do a section 31 series if we see another long-term redemption arc for Giorgio, where she begins in section 31 sort of in her element and at some point finds out that it's not for her. What I imagine if that happens is where whatever time frame she ends up in, she fixes section 31. Yeah. She that, uses wouldn't that be interesting? her redemption arc to pull section 31 off its, as you say, dystopian pathway and make it a better, both more ethical and more effective yeah. organization. So that's sort of what I expect at such time as that series happens. But I think it's important that we remember the actions of Section 31 don't go beyond the actions of Section 31. Okay. They don't reflect on the rest of the Federation and the rest of Starfleet. They are black ops. They're this, not just the CIA. They're Blackwater. They're agents who are not accountable. If they do something bad, we don't have to say that that reflects poorly on Starfleet and the Federation. So remember Good. that as we go forward <laughs> and find out more about what Section 31's been doing. Rodney, I've been thinking about the meaning of the episode titled Dominion. 
And the word dominion means a territory or a sphere of influence, but also refers to control, the exercise of control. Now, that reflects the origin of the changelings who created the dominion in the first place to protect themselves, you know, out of control. The term dominion, though, wasn't used much. Was it used at all in this episode? It wasn't used much in the episode. I don't think so. But looking at the multiple meanings of the word, it might allude to Vatic gaining control or dominion over Titan. Mm-hmm. It may refer to Vatican and her fellow changelings being held captive for experimentation, uh, thus captives, you might say, in the dominion of Section 31. And mm-hmm. even Jack remote controlling Sydney during the fight uh, is an exercise of control, <laughs> which is, you know, within the definition of the term dominion. So, right. so looking at the word broadly... Interesting. Uh, there are there are more than one way in which it might be reflected in this episode. So summing up, we're left with Vatic in control of Titan, at least she thinks. Data in control of Data's body. Picard, Sydney, and both crushers free to form a resistance movement or to play out their plot. Worf and Raffi on their way back from someplace that they've been, I hope in La Serena, but we don't know how they got there and how they got back. Yeah. And Riker, Troy, and maybe Tuvok in captivity, presumably being questioned vigorously. Since Worf, Rafi, Riker, and Troy were not in this episode at all, I anticipate a significant focus on them next week. I saw one thing online that implied, at least didn't bluntly say it, but implied that finally Deanna is going to be throughout the coming episode. And I think the very end of this episode signals that we're likely to find out very soon what the deal with Jack really is. So that is what we can look forward to. We've been waiting a long time to find out, haven't we? (laughs) It feels that way. Anyway, thank you for joining us for this podcast, our 100th. We'll be back next week to look at the next episode of Picard entitled Surrender. Remember that we post podcast updates on Mastodon, Twitter and Facebook at Trek underscore Academy and Tumblr at Trek Academy without the underscore. And you can always check our website at anchor.fm slash Star Trek Academy. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on the Star Trek Academy podcast. <laughs>